You're listening to the Australian Water Association podcast series. My name is Ellen Fanning and joining me is Veronique Bonnelly, Technical Support Manager at Suez, Australia and New Zealand. And we're discussing a PFAS case study from rural Pennsylvania. Welcome, Veronique. Thank you, Elaine. Now, the case study you dealt with in Pennsylvania dealt with emerging contaminants. What sort of substances are you talking about? So we we are really focused on this case on uh, PFAS, uh, polyfluoroalkyl substances, which is uh, a complex family of more than 3,000 compounds uh, based on fluorinated organic chemistry and which is uh, human-made, man-made chemicals. And how well understood is the toxicity of these materials and the associated health risks? So the toxicity has been uh, pointed out by several studies, but uh, it's still under uh, evaluation by experts. So the toxicity and health risk are still not um, um, uh, well understood, and it's still a, a work in progress, uh, which is one of the issues of the, of the study. And why is there a risk from these substances to drinking water? So the issue of uh, those compounds is that they, they can be released uh, in the environment through waste discharge or just by using the chemical in the, in the industry. Um, the compound can percolate through uh, ground and soil and contaminate groundwater, and it's uh, where we mainly find them. Um, so it's uh, indirect contamination uh, from industry through soil to, to groundwater and, and then running water. Are the health risks of it well understood? And the health risk and toxicity are not uh, well understood. Um, which which is a, a holding point on setting um, uh, standards and regulation uh, limit uh, in terms mm. of drinking water. And so this case study um, comes out of rural Pennsylvania. What's the regulation in Pennsylvania and more broadly in the United States around PFAS? And it's the second main issue with this case study is that the regulation uh, in the U.S. managed by U.S. uh, Environmental Protection Agency um, have not established maximum contaminant levels uh, yet on those compounds. Um, Also, um, the U.S. EPA um, issued a lifetime health advisory uh, limit for two of those uh, compounds. Um, PFOA and PFOS uh, at a level of 0.07 microgram per liter. In the US, um, as in Australia, um, you you may have a, a, a overall uh, guideline, but each state is able to set some uh, additional limits. And in the US, some states already uh, put some uh, guidance, um, while others, like Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania has no limit at all. So that's an interesting situation for um, uh, a, a water utility provider to be in, that you know there's a problem or a potential problem with these substances, but there's no regulatory guideline about what to safely do about them. It's exactly the case, and um, the 
um, lifetime health advisories were issued in May 2016 already, so several years ago. And the utilities are in this gray zone where some limits has been set, uh, but they are not uh, in the regulation of each state, and each state has a different uh, view on those uh, compounds. It's uh, also a difficulty in terms of uh, setting monitoring um, and, uh, and uh, accessing uh, laboratory facility with the correct detection limit to put in place the right monitoring. Uh, and it's also uh, an issue in terms of education of uh, the utilities or the authorities, local authorities, uh, in terms of risk, risk management and risk mitigation. And so let's go to the case study then. Um, it centres on a town of 1,500 people in rural Pennsylvania and there's this one local customer who alerts authorities to a problem. What did the person think the issue was? So the, the customer was uh, um, aware of a question mark on this type of compound and initiated an analysis on this uh, uh, water. The, the operator, uh, which is uh, Suez, was contacted by the state of Pennsylvania in March 2019, so last year, um, indicating that there were these uh, single results on the drinking water sampling. So, um, yeah, it's, it, was, it was a surprise for everybody. Uh, also, uh, we didn't conduct any uh, uh, monitoring on this particular uh, distribution system uh, prior to this alarm. So the state had identified the issue with the drinking water? Yeah, the customer, not even the state, the customer identified an issue with the drinking water, which is one of the complexity where the customer expectation is going beyond uh, the regulation in this case. That's a very active customer does testing the water in that way. Okay, so the state comes to Suez. What was the operational response? An immediate response was made uh, assessing the distribution network hydraulic to try to narrow uh, the potential source of contamination. And we narrowed uh, the source to two groundwater um, uh, installations. Um, immediately, we, uh, we uh, engage uh, to design uh, and, and supply and install a treatment facility. While in, the, in parallel, we uh, uh, set additional monitoring to uh, try to confirm and get more information on, on the pollution. So you've narrowed it down to these two locations, four groundwater bores, and there were a range of different solutions that you considered. Why did you um, end up choosing the particular technology that you went with? The decision-making was really driven by the time uh, and the will to uh, implement as soon as possible the treatment to reinstate uh, uh, good quality water for the customer. So we went uh, to the... Uh, best available technologies, uh, but also the easier to implement. Um, so some technologies like reverse osmosis would have generated uh, uh, waste stream, liquid waste stream, and we had no time to engage uh, deeply in, uh, in uh, uh, discharge licensing and, and um, 
impact to the environment. So we went to the uh, easier package um, uh, proven technology, which was activated carbon in, in uh, pressurized filters. So you've gone with a standalone system with limited discharge waste um, based on the fact that there was no time to do the sort of extensive environmental impact studies and get the discharge licences you'd need. And so then I want you to describe the ongoing monitoring that was put in place after that point. So the ongoing monitoring, uh, which was uh, defined uh, with the regulator, with the health department of Pennsylvania, um, is uh, first to demonstrate that the treatment is uh, effective and second to uh, assess on the long term uh, the viability of this pollution in the resource but also to confirm that the technology selected is uh, really effective in removing those compounds. So uh, we, we are doing a weekly sampling um, and a monthly sampling. Were you surprised um, when you were testing for these 14 different compounds uh, that you were finding these range of substances um, in, the, in the drinking water supply? Yes, yeah, so... Um, over the the two sites uh, which were identified, uh, one was really uh, the source of the pollution. The second uh, location was uh, contained uh, really minor uh, concentration of uh, compounds. Uh, we identified mainly uh, six compounds uh, across the family tested, which uh, and it was a surprise. Uh, to find this pollution in this in this particular uh, type of bore. Do you have any understanding of how that pollution got into the bore? So the bore are um, are in an industrial um, area, uh, but it it's still under investigation, uh, and and its uh, investigation is uh, carried by the authorities. So. Mm. I don't have more information on that, but it's really trying to identify what type of industry are located around the bore and, and, and dig further or put possible or potential discharge. PFAS are, are well known uh, in the industry for uh, anti-foaming uh, action, and you find them around airports and, and training facilities for firefighting where those uh, compounds uh, are or were uh, used uh, intensively. You write that the, that the case study speaks to the changing customer expectation and what that means for operational responses. Tell me a bit about what you've learned about that because this is an extraordinary case where a customer is taking their own drinking water and having sophisticated tests done on that water in order to raise the alarm. So that's, that's, a, that's a very um, sophisticated set of expectations from that customer and a sophisticated set of actions from them. So I think it's, um, it's um, related to the world we are living in now, uh, where the information is available to anyone and information which is even not uh, completely uh, validated by experts on the po potential impact uh, in terms of uh, toxicity and health. So you have you are living in a world where 
regulation is following uh, art science to set um, uh, standards and limits, while the information is also available to anyone, and anyone will expect uh, to have uh, drinking water free of any compound which may present a toxicity risk. So the customer is expecting that we deliver the water without any um, uh, compound which may harm them. And unfortunately, sometimes those compounds are not even in the regulation. So the utility um, needs to react and, and, and yeah, fight two, two or three um, fronts, if I may. Mm. Um, so it's a difficult difficult situation. We understand the position of the public and, and customer, but it's it's uh, sometimes difficult to to uh, respond to this type of uh, of event. What did you learn from the outcome of this case study then about um, that increased awareness, but also about whether or not standards can be set for triggering early water quality monitoring? So uh, what we learn is is first uh, on those compounds, um, as you know, in uh, in the US, uh, perform uh, monitoring on their main plant uh, at the early stage uh, in 2016, um, even where the lab had not uh, uh, the low enough detection limit to analyze those compounds, uh, finding that. The campaign, the early campaign, uh, the results could be um, uh, were are not useful because the detection limit was too high. So uh, we learned that when this um, new compound arrive, we we need to have a, a consistent response over time and do not close the book uh, after a first set of campaign, but but continue monitoring. We learned also that there is a, um, an important section on education and awareness, and that uh, not only the Suez employee, but also our client needs to be aware of the risk um, and educated so that um, uh, they are prepared to face this kind of event. So we work a lot on the on documentation and communication uh, with the, the client we are working with in the US so that uh, everybody is aware and, uh, and uh, ready for any regulation change or any request. A fascinating story, a challenging issue for utilities. That was Veronique Bonnelli, Technical Support Manager at Suez, Australia, New Zealand. Thank you, Elaine.